read to us that section of scripture and it'll be John chapter 13 if you'd kindly like to open your Bibles if you've got them there and uh, turn to John chapter 13. Hallie's going to read from verse 18 through to verse 30 and then Scott will come down and preach. Thanks Hallie, come on down. Good afternoon everyone. (laughs) So the reading today is from John chapter 13 verses 18 to 30. And is anyone using a Bible? If you have the plain holy Bible, Bible, that's on page 763. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them The disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread... Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Thank you for that, Hallie. And uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Night Church. This is a little bit different, isn't it? Uh, we're <clears throat> never could I have imagined I'd be looking out in the congregation and seeing uh, most people wearing uh, face masks, uh, looking a little bit like bandits, and uh, uh, conducting a church service uh, where we're not actually going to be singing any Christian songs and hymns and so on. Um, but that's the, the era that we live in, the uh, COVID-19 era, and uh, we're trying to do everything <clears throat> in accordance with the um, safety plan of the church, and uh, that means no singing from up front, face masks, 1.5 social distancing, four square metre rule, and so on, and uh, we're doing it, and I, I think it's working okay. I, actually, I kind of like this seating arrangement. It's a, much, a bit better than having just the aisle down the middle. But uh, anyway, welcome to church today, and uh, uh, we look forward to um, hearing a little bit from God's Word. I'm going to lead us in prayer now as we come to think about that passage that Hallie has just read for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for your Word, and we do pray that as we Consider it now that you would open our eyes and uh, that you would give us spiritual insight and understanding and that we would be uh, men and women, boys and girls who uh, 
put Jesus as first in our lives and that we are not moved away from the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I've, I've just realised that this is the first time in nearly six months that I've preached to something other than a camera. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's worth a cheer, I think, um, uh, not just a camera. But I wonder if you have ever uh, felt that you've been betrayed by someone. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's, uh, that's tough, isn't it? It's hard enough when someone who uh, is not your friend harms you in some way. Uh, think, for example, of the, the bully at school uh, or the, uh, the person at work who's just a, a thorn in the side to you all the time. And that's hard, but betrayal is something which is much worse than that because betrayal is when the person who does you harm is the one you thought was your friend. Uh, the friend at school who goes and tells your enemy uh, all of the private information that they know about you, the embarrassing stuff. Or the, uh, the friend at work who uh, joins in with others uh, when they're gossiping about you and uh, doesn't stand up for you. Uh, or that, um, that trusted employee who you've employed in your business that you've worked so hard at and you've invested into that person and they quit the job, they go and start their own business and they take your clients with them. That hurts, doesn't it? Betrayal cuts very deeply. You know King David uh, in the Old Testament, he understood betrayal, he experienced it. Um, in Psalm 41... He was describing the, his enemies, the people who had, uh, had done harm to him. And he doesn't just talk about his known enemies. He talks about uh, people who were supposed to be his friends. Let me just read to you Psalm 41 verse 9 where he says, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his, his heel against me. Now, lifting up your heel against someone, that's kind of Old Testament talk. Uh, some people think that it's a reference to uh, a horse um, you know, about to kick its master. Um, but you get the idea, don't you? How would we say something similar to that? We might talk about, um, you know, the mate, that we used, the mate that we used to have around for, uh, for barbecues and uh, now he's just gone and stabbed me in the back. It's that kind of thing. And, you know, it's this verse from Psalm 41 that Jesus had in mind on the night when he shared the, the Passover, when he shared his very last Passover with his disciples. Um, now, uh, if you've been to the morning service uh, last week, we uh, looked at uh, John chapter 13 and you might want to have uh, John chapter 13 open in front of you in your Bibles and uh, you should have a sermon outline there which can, you can take notes on if you like or at least it gives you a framework for the sermon or you can see how long it's got to go before the sermon's going to end uh, by looking at the outline. But um, in John chapter 13, Jesus did some, something which was absolutely remarkable uh, he, towards his disciples. Do you remember what it was? What did he do for his disciples? He did something which... Normally, someone in his position would not do. Can anyone tell me what it was? He washed their, he washed their grimy, dirty, 
uh, feet, which would have been dreadful at that time of Passover with a quarter of a million sheep pouring into Jerusalem. He washed his disciples' feet and then he said that they would be blessed if they humbled themselves and did likewise. Not cleaning feet, but becoming the lowest form of servant, serving others. But, but, and here's the thing, not all of those 12 disciples would be blessed. Have a look at verse 18, if you wouldn't mind, if you've got that open in front of you. I'm going to read it for you. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Where's that from, folks? Psalm 41. And then he goes on to say, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it happens you will believe that I am who I am. And very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Now, when we read through John's Gospel, we already know that Judas is going to betray Jesus. How do we know that? Well, we know it because there's a number of times when John, writing his gospel, has told us, when Judas has come up, come up in the story, he says, Judas, who would later betray him? So if we've been reading John's gospel, we know how this is going to end, don't we? But the disciples, they didn't have that advantage. And imagine what it would have been like for them for Jesus, uh, you know, when he was handed over to his enemies by one of their own and then executed. Uh, you can imagine that they might feel <clears throat> a little bit fragile. Uh, they might feel that maybe this is all just a bit of a pipe dream. Maybe Jesus has been outmaneuvered by his enemies. Maybe being connected with Jesus isn't actually where it's all at. Maybe he's not the Messiah after all. And so this is, I think that's a pretty, pretty realistic thing that they, they might feel. So Jesus actually preempts this. And he tells them uh, that not all of them will be blessed in those verses. And that also that he has chosen each of the twelve Earlier on in John's Gospel, he said that to them, every one of them, the 12. He has chosen them, even the betrayer. And even in choosing the betrayer, he knew what he was doing. See, choosing Judas was not a mistake. It was all part of God's plan. Uh, fulfilling Psalm 41 that a friend with whom he shared bread would turn against him. And you know what? Knowing that in advance would prove to be very helpful to the disciples in the dark days that were ahead. But the, the, the fact of the, that the betrayal belonged to God's plan didn't actually mean that Jesus was emotionally neutral about this. Take a look at verse 21, where it says, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Jesus was troubled in spirit. 
and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, this is a solemn moment. Did you see there that Jesus didn't just say something to them? What did John write? John said that he testified to them. He testified. And he said, very truly, I tell you. This is very solemn. Why so solemn? Well, Jesus had already told them that he would be betrayed by a disciple. But the term disciple is a broad term. It means a follower of Jesus. And there were thousands of followers of Jesus. It could have been any of his followers. But who would have thought that it would have been one of the 12, one of the inner circle? Surely not. And so imagine this scene. Actually, I think that when we um, picture, uh, when, when you picture in your mind the Last Supper, what, what do you think of? I think that sometimes our image of it's been a little bit distorted by, um, by artwork. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, uh, which has um, uh, this big long table and uh, these people all sitting on chairs upright in a long line and that's not how it happened. That, that might have been true for an ordinary meal, but for special meals like Passover, guests would actually recline uh, on lounges. And these lounges, typically there'd be three lounges in a, a, a U-shape, um, arranged in a U-shape around a table, and the host, in this case, which would be Jesus, would be... Um, the idea was that people would recline on these lounges. They would, uh, and Jesus would be, be reclined on the central lounge, in the middle of the central lounge, and others would be reclining with their feet outwards, uh, and they would be leaning on each other as, as they ate. Now, I, personally, I would find this to be a bit, bit of an uncomfortable um, way of eating a meal, wouldn't, don't you think? Uh, I, I like to sit up straight at the table and... Um, you know, but apparently this was relaxing, but this particular meal was far from relaxing. The disciples were stunned because Jesus had just told them that one of them would be the one who betrayed him. Um, can I get you to have a look at verse 22? His disciples stared at one, other, one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, and in the original it says that he kind of leant into his chest, uh, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, um, usually... If there's a group of people, a team or a club or an organisation or whatever, and there's someone in that group who's not quite on side, uh, maybe they're a bit disaffected, uh, you can usually tell, can't you? You know, you can, you can pick up the vibe, their, their, the way they talk, their body language, even the things that they do, their negativity and, and what have you. But... The disciples were absolutely mystified as to who this betrayer could be. I mean, you know, when Jesus says this, 
You don't get the impression from the text that some of them are kind of lying, lying back and thinking, ah, I reckon he's talking about Judas. I've always been suspicious of that guy. You don't get that impression from the text, do you? No, even though Judas had been helping himself to the cash, and even though Judas had already gone to the chief priests to sell his soul, uh, the other disciples, they had literally no idea. It seems that Judas had covered his tracks pretty well. Now, the disciple reclining next to Jesus is described as being the disciple whom Jesus loved. Did you notice that? Um, It's most likely John himself, um, the, the author of this gospel, and he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But think about that, the disciple whom Jesus loved. In our culture... When men talk about other men that they love, uh, we tend to talk about... A guy might say, well, I really love my dad. And a mm, dad might say, well, I really love my son. But it's, we're a bit squirmish about saying, well, I really love my mates. Or I love a particular mate. You know, when I'm signing off on an email to, you know, to Pete Charles, I don't sign off with love, Scott, you know. It's a bit squirmish about that. I love you, brother, but, you know, we're a bit... You know, yeah. See, this is this is a bit of a moment here, but uh, but this the reason you know we don't generally say, blokes are a bit shy about saying that, but not true in the Middle Eastern culture or the Near Eastern culture that, that Jesus was was in. Um, we might have male friends who we're a bit closer to than than others, um, and that's the kind of friendship that's going on here between Jesus had a close friendship with Lazarus. He's just described as someone whom he loved and he's got this close friendship uh, most likely with John and that may be why John is sitting he's reclining so close to him at the table because he's got that special connection so the question then is who is the betrayer because remember they don't know yet we know but they don't know Uh, verse 26 Jesus answered it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now remember, there were two of the 12 disciples whose names were Judas, common name, a bit like the name Peter or the name David in our church these days. Um, There were two. And John clarifies for us which one it was. It was the one whose father is Simon, who come from a place called Iscariot. Uh, So Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. We call him Judas Iscariot. Uh, But Jesus didn't name Judas. Rather, what he did is he identified betrayer by dipping some bread in a bowl and then handing it to him. I wonder why he did that. Um, Some uh, commentators say that, well, that was a... um, that was something which a host might do to, to specially honour a particular guest. And uh, if that was the case, then that really increases Judas's shame in terms of what he was about to do. Um, the, the other thought on that is that um, dipping the morsel of bread uh, into a bowl with some herbs and oils and so on uh, was 
an element of the Passover meal itself with its fulfilment in what Judas was about to do. I think, I reckon that at the very least, it kind of fulfills the psalm, doesn't it? That, that, that seems to me the obvious thing, that the one with whom I've shared my bread is the one who lifted up his heel against me. Um, one of the great themes of John's Gospel is the, uh, it's, and it's woven through the Gospel, is that the, the, the difference between light and darkness. Do you remember how John summed that up in, right at the beginning of the Gospel in John chapter 1? He said that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, could be uh, not overcome it. It's a dual meaning there. And we see this being played out, don't we? Because Satan did not understand what was going on, did not understand God's light. I reckon that Satan might have thought that this was his great moment that Jesus was about to be betrayed. Perhaps only second in greatness to that moment when on the cross Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was Satan's moment. As in verse 27, when Judas took the bread, John tells us that Satan entered him. You notice that? Not just that Satan tempted him or Satan moved him, but Satan entered him. What do we normally call that? It's possession, isn't it? He's gone. Although, friends, um, Judas could not claim that the devil made me do it. Because, remember, he was already loaded down with his 30 pieces of silver. Uh, And it seems that Jesus may have caught Judas and Satan by surprise. Do you see the instruction that Jesus gives Judas in verse 27? He says, what you are about to do, do quickly. Now that um, word uh, quickly uh, has the sense of do it before you planned to do it. Um, Bring forward the action. Now is the time for you to do it. Who do you think's in charge here? Who's in control? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds like Jesus. And not even the other disciples stopped it. I mean, if they knew that Judas was about to betray Jesus, you reckon they might have stopped him from walking out that door and leaving the room? I mean, you'd, you'd at least expect Peter to jump up and do something, wouldn't you? So why did no one intervene? Verse 28. uh, Having said that, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Uh, Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. Now, you and I, we might be thinking, well, Why would the disciples be so blurry about this? But remember this, Jesus has actually not said anything to the other disciples as to when the betrayal would happen. 
He's told them that he's going to be betrayed, but as to when it's going to happen, well, that could be days, that could be weeks, that could be months in advance. He hasn't actually told them it could be a long way off. So they weren't expecting it. What was it that Jesus told Judas to go and do? They really didn't know. He was a treasurer. So maybe uh, Jesus told him to go out and go and buy some food for the, the festival. Now, they're, they're already eating a meal for the Passover festival, but the, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, began that very night, and that would go for seven days, so maybe they needed some food for that. Uh, or maybe uh, Jesus told him to go out and, and give some money to the poor. Now, this was something which was often done on Passover night. In fact, the temple gates were, left, uh, were opened up at midnight for poor people to come in and for people to give alms, to give money to them. Maybe that was what was going on. Whatever the case, in terms of what the other disciples thought, in verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. It was night. Why does John mention that? Do you think he's just interested in telling us what time of day it was? There might be more to it than that. It's not just about the time of day, is it? No. Later that night, when Judas and the chief priests and some soldiers went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus declared to them, this is your hour when darkness reigns as Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Now, the, um, the word, the Greek word, which is translated in this passage as to betray, literally means to deliver someone up. Here, uh, Judas delivered Jesus up to the chief priests. In chapter 18, the chief priests, we're told, delivered Jesus up to Pilate. In chapter 19, we're told that Pilate delivered Jesus up to be crucified. But you know what? In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says of Jesus that he was delivered up, that he was delivered over to death for our sins. It's the same word. That on the cross that he was judged to be guilty of sin so that we could be judged to be innocent. Jesus was betrayed so that we could be forgiven if we put our trust in him. Now I, I never want to miss an opportunity to ask you whether you've done that. Have you put your trust in the death of Jesus on your behalf? Have you, in a sense, delivered yourself over to Jesus, entrusting your life into his hands, the one who died for you and who rose again? Have you done that? I never want to miss an opportunity to ask that because it's quite possible you could be coming along to church year after year and never actually take that step. You know, the night Jesus was betrayed, 
was the start of a very dark time for the disciples. Uh, The arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, who wouldn't be distressed? Who wouldn't be um, feeling vulnerable? Who wouldn't falter? But you know that they didn't completely crumble, did they? They, they scattered a bit, but they, re, you know, they, they regrouped and they, they, they stuck together in their fragile state long enough for the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because their minds contained the words of Jesus in verse 19 that he told them of the betrayal in advance so that when it happened, they would not lose faith. Uh, That they wouldn't think of Jesus as being just a helpless victim, but they would know that that he is who he said he was. And he said he was, I am. That you will know that I am who I am, the great I am. And that as people accept them, the disciples, and and their message about Jesus, that in fact they are accepting the one who sent Jesus, God himself. Judas stepped out into the night. But what Satan intended for evil... God used for his good. God so often does that. And I think that that gives us a degree of, a lot of confidence too, doesn't it? Because uh, sometimes in the ups and downs of life and sometimes in the joys and the disappointments of Christian ministry and sometimes when we're feeling a bit rejected when we've been sharing the gospel with people and they haven't quite responded in the way that we would have liked, then we may be tempted to think that maybe Satan does have the upper hand. And then we remember that all of God's promises were fulfilled in Jesus and that lives are changed as we tell our friends the great news about the one who was betrayed, about the one who was delivered up to death for them. Why don't we pray about this? Father, we want to thank you for um, the fact that you are so much in control, that that you use the sinfulness of, of humanity and the schemes of the evil one to confound him and to confound your enemies and to bring about your good purpose, as we see here in the death of Jesus on our behalf. Father, in times when we're feeling a bit discouraged, uh, we pray that we would be encouraged by knowing that that, uh, uh, you indeed um, have your plan and that you bring your plan to fruition. Help us, Lord God, to be people who don't falter in our faith and help us to be those who will continue to proclaim the message of Jesus, knowing that through him that others can come to know you and the forgiveness that you have given us in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.